where nobody knows your name, the Cheers 40th anniversary special is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. We made it 40 years. And with us to celebrate is a special guest from Microdose Podcast, which we've been on a few times that airs on Fridays, and Waffle Box Pod, which airs on Wednesdays. He's a member of the Northern California Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, and our resident sports specialist and good friend of the podcast is Kush Hayes. Welcome, Kush. You ready to celebrate? What's good, y'all? I cannot tell you how excited I am to be not only just a part of this show, but to be talking about one of the most seminal episodes of TV history of all time. This is up there with the greats, guys. We're talking like I Love Lucy. We're talking about the Jeffersons. We're talking about Dallas and anything else that's run on Nick at Night, man. And it's the 40th anniversary of Cheers, guys. Thank you for having me on this tonight. Joining us today are two of our regulars. It's John. Hello. Thanks for having me, James. I'm looking forward to this. As Kush said, 40 years is a big one. Cheers started four years. That's, I mean, that's almost twice my age, James. I'm not that young anymore, but it's it's an amazing achievement. You said we've we've been waiting 40 years, James. We can't claim that, but we're <laughs> glad to talk to some people who have been watching it for all that time because it is an amazing show. We've thoroughly enjoyed doing this podcast, and what better way to celebrate than getting together talking about a classic Cheers. Along with John, it's Barry. Hello all. Uh, thanks for having me, James. Depressingly, I'm actually older than Cheers, so uh, John has made my heart sink. <laughs> no, I, I'm right there with you, Barry. I'm, just, I'm older than Cheers also, baby. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about how Cheers came to be, uh, you know, the uh, various struggles that Charles Burroughs Charles went through and you know it's no secret that the first episode and a lot of the first season weren't watched by many people it was lowering rankings and we're gonna talk about that a bit we're gonna talk about some decisions that went into the show which solidified its success going forward and you know maybe some uh, little known facts about uh, about casting but first of all let's talk about our first uh, exposure to cheers when when did we first watch cheers first episode how old were we when uh, when we first got a glimpse of the bar where everybody knows your name? Well, let, let's start with the oldies. I probably saw it somewhere between the age of five and ten. My dad was a big fan, so he would have had it on telly. Whether I understood it, who knows? <laughs> but I certainly enjoyed it and became a big fan of Woody initially because I saw the later episodes before the earlier ones. When Cheers debuted, I was maybe four years old. So I, I probably wasn't watching any of the first run episodes. But once it hit syndication out here in San Francisco, like it was on consistently at 7 p.m. And again at 11 p.m. on KTVU uh, Channel 2, which is now a Fox affiliate. And you'd always catch bits and pieces here. But, you, you know, I was always looking for the Giants game. I could never find the Giants game when I <laughs> wanted it. So. Finally, the first episode I would actually sit down and watch, and I think we talked about this on one of the microdoses, guys, like episode 100, where Carla gets her her first home. And, you know, is it haunted? Who knows? But they threw in a Ghostbusters reference, and Ghostbusters was super hot at the time, and I was like, I'm going to watch this show now. And I think almost in, in opposite, my experience is like growing up around the same time, so probably the same age, but when in the 90s, like they were, Cheers was like 7 a.m., on Channel mm. 4 for us in, in the UK. So my exposure was like morning, car mm. uh, alongside cartoons, which is like weird in itself. Yeah. I, like my exposure to Cheers, and that was sort of alongside Frasier, of course, and Everybody Loves Raymond, but totally out of sync of any order. So it's been nice revisiting it with uh, James Barry and talking to yourself, Kush, quite a few times and just going through it like episode by episode, that proper... It's been the longest binge of my life. It's been a good so, one. So far, it's been a three-year binge. Yeah, <laughs> That's incredible. I, I remember when you two started this. Then it was just a an idea and a, you know, I, I didn't think it would last. And to think oh, you're still right, doing Barry. it is crazy. So- <laughs> 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 I think, ironically, I probably watched it latest out of uh, out of everyone here i'm i was probably between 10 and early teens and my first episode was two girls for every boy in season eight and uh all i'd heard of cheers obviously i knew of its i knew of its legacy but i saw lisa kudrow's name pop up in the episode description and okay. uh, much like john talked about uh shows which were on in the 90s you know friends was on 
all the time uh, because it was not only airing, but mm-hmm. uh, very popular in instant syndication in, here in the UK. So when I saw a name I recognized in Cheers, I was like, yeah, I watched that episode. And it was a great episode. As, uh, as Barry would like to know, it's a, it's a Woody-centric episode. Oh, my favorite. Yeah. Is that the one where she's a friend of uh, Rebecca's? She is a cast member in a play that Woody is in. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But of course, that's a, that's a much later episode. But when you saw the, and this question is uh, probably for Barry and Cush more than John and myself, because they watched it while it was uh, originally airing, uh, were you hoping for the acclaim? Uh, that Cheers would eventually reach, or did you think it would reach the acclaim when you were watching it at, at that young age and, uh, and have, as Barry said, seeing Woody up to his mischief? <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, no idea. I was too young. Yeah. Um, yeah. I probably didn't care, but uh, <laughs> I didn't know anything about the actors, characters, knew very little about America, to be honest, at that age. Mm. But just, I think I just like watching my dad laugh. So nice. sitting there with him and giggling along with whatever he laughed at. It was great. As an 11 year old, 12 year old, you know, I'd sit there at nights and you just go like, man, I really hope we're talking about this show in 30 years because <laughs> no, no, I, obviously I had no idea that what this was or like, you know, people are still talking about the Brady Bunch. And again, I love Lucy and leave it to Beaver and those things. We're still stuck in that nostalgia wave. So cheers is just, it's just filler at this point. No one, I mean, people love it and the people that love it, love it. Like, I remember graduating from eighth grade, getting ready to go to high school. And sure enough, you know, the principal of the school like worked in like, it's come, we're coming to the end of an age. Last week we saw the end of uh, Cheers. Next week we're going to see the end of Johnny Carson. But today these <laughs> students are graduating. And it's like, yeah, all right, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh-huh. But, yeah. My reaction to it, obviously I, I already knew what the legacy was. But from the first episode I watched, I knew that I enjoyed watching these people enjoy each other's company in a bar and wanted to continue seeing more episodes. And I think I think that probably led to this acclaim, which is what we'll go into. What about you, John? You watched it at quite a young age. I think the thing that I kind of, you get sort of a reverse engineered perspective because I watched a lot of Simpsons. I watched a lot of, uh, even like Cheers' name dropped and referenced in so many other things. Like it's now name dropped in Guardians of the Galaxy as like a Sam and Diane relationship. And it's like, you kind of, you're figuring out where all these touch points of nostalgia have come from. And there's so many things are rooted in this 11 season run of, of a sitcom, which is just sort of timeless and in, in what it did itself, but how much it's inspired as well. So you do kind of, you, you watch an episode and you go, ah, that's familiar. And I've seen it happen like in 10 other things that have came out since. And this is sort of the starting point. And I think you get that a lot, especially when you hear about where they were coming with the sort of origin of the idea and where they're coming out with it. I think that's definitely true. I think when, and we'll go on to it shortly, when uh, Charles Burroughs Charles came up with the idea, they very much wanted to have that uh, Sam and Diane uh, relationship as a, as a linchpin. And they, I think in his, in his recent book directed by James Burroughs, he referred to it because of the time in which it was made. He referred to it as a... Tracy Hepburn relationship, you know, which was fraught with its own controversy. What's always been weird to me about the Sam and Diane relationship is the chase is always better than the capture. What I mean by that is once they are in a relationship as a couple, they suck. Like they're the worst thing about the show. It's only when like, you know, will they, won't they little flirts, little teases, you know, they have some good punches back and forth. They they actually have some physical hits back and forth. Like that's when Sam and Diane are at their best for some reason. I've never understood it, but that's, that is a fact. And I think you guys will agree with me on that. Yeah. James, you always talk about the, the microcosm of a, a show, how it has to return to ground zero at the end. Yes. And and that, like you say, Kush, that was that was the sort of the intention of the show. It was have those two sort of chasing each other. And the minute they made the decision to be together, suddenly that's changed. Now the show has to return to that every time. And it, it becomes a harder thing to write. Yes, not just because of uh, returning to form, but because any story has an inherent conflict which needs to be overcome and that's where the story comes from an obstacle and it's whether the hero uh, succeeds or fails in that obstacle 
think it's like you said, James, when you said uh, they were sort of inspired by those Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn sort of battle of the sexist rom- romantic comedies from the 1940s and 50s. And sort of that's where it was at its best when it's them both against each other. Kind of say how she's sort of uptown, he's downtown and how it's just that that battle between the two. That's when it's at its best and you see that conflict between them. Classic of opposites attract. Yeah. Although maybe they shouldn't sometimes, I guess. That's what we're saying. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think um, it, it was either one of the Charles brothers or one of the writers i've forgotten who but when people complained into the network about about cheers and about how sam and diane aren't in an aspirational relationship they just went they're not supposed to be (laughs) they are an unhealthy couple you know we never said they had to be had to be aspirational which i liked as a response you know what's crazy about audience feedback back then as well today you just get on Twitter, Facebook, or whatever, and you just go, I hate this. This sucks. Blah, 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 blah. But back in the day, you actually had to sit down and compose a letter. Like, you'd have to hand write a letter like, Sam and Diane suck. And then you had to fucking <laughs> fold it up. You had to put it in an envelope. You had to find postage. You had to find the actual address of where to send this fucking thing and then put it in the post box. And then hopefully it got to them. But bags and bags of mail. Came to came to NBC Studios complaining about Sam and Diane's relationship, and then eventually just about Diane, which kind of sucks because Shelley Long is great. Shelley Long got a bad rap, and I think became exacerbated in the later Diane seasons. But the first episode, you could tell how well timed uh, she was uh, as a oh, comic actress. That's great kind of timing. Her character Diane was quite novel at the time. She was an academic, particularly in the in the kind of sports bar environment, and I think that helped to give the pilot its success. But that wasn't the uh, the only thing which contributed to the to the success of the pilot. John and I were talking just before the call here. Were you a fan of Taxi Kush? It would be on in the background sometimes, but it's no, it's nothing I've ever watched consistently to even like not even like, oh, I'm going to watch the first episode and then follow it. Like, yeah, I just long answer to a short question is I know of it. I think you're on the same lines as me. I know like three things. One was Christopher <laughs> Lloyd's in it. One is uh, Danny DeVito's in it. And the other that it's got, it was started by the same people as Cheers. But I know James has got a bit of, bit of some research in this, I think. I do indeed. Thank That was a beautiful segue there, John. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Charles Bowes and Charles were working on Taxi and... Uh, they shared the same agent who was uh, Bob Broder. And uh, while they were working on Taxi, their agent suggested that they team up to make uh, a show of their own. Because while working on Taxi, they were working for executive producers who were determining uh, the storylines and you know the, the overall tone and appeal of Taxi as a show. They wanted to be their own showrunners, so... I can relate. Through the agent, they negotiated a new deal with Paramount. Uh, which allowed them to form Charles Burroughs Charles, which <laughs> James Burroughs has said was originally going to be called a Jew and two Mormons, uh, but it was taken. I wonder who took those. I wonder who had the first name. <laughs> That's how their production company came into being. Quite a interesting little, uh, little known fact, as, as Cliff would say, but they're... And I'm sure, I'm sure you all here would, would know of this. Their influences for comedy were a bit closer to home in regards to the UK, weren't they, John and Barry and Cush? Anyone, really. <laughs> well, do I know the answer? <laughs> I don't know. I know John knows the answer. I Do I know the answer? <laughs> well, uh, Faulty Towers. Faulty Towers. Yeah, there you go. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I've seen the Faulty Towers. It's it's a good show, and um, I think the favor was returned when John Cleese went on to Cheers. They were inspired by Faulty Towers in that they were fascinated by the uh, the comings and goings of uh, people to this small hotel in the mm-hmm. in, in this you know English uh, countryside English town, and the owner was aggressive and selfish and uh, quite a slapstick over the top man, played by John Cleese and. This mm-hmm. appealed to them, not yeah. just because of it, you know, as a as a as a working establishment, but also they said they were big fans of British humor in that they found it sophisticated, intellectual, yeah. and more unexpected than American humor. In that there's a blend of edginess and mm-hmm. silliness, and I think 
if you're talking about John Cleese, it's certainly true, you know, because he's of Monty Python fame. That's definitely a 70s, 80s production mentality. So we have a thing out here in the States called the public broadcasting system. And, you know, it's it's for the people, by the people. There's no sponsors. You're not going to see Coca-Cola or Pepsi uh, running any ads on it. But the problem is they also have a million goddamn telephones. So every weekend they're like, hey. We're running this show, blah, blah, blah. And you can see Nova and you can see this and you can see all your favorite British shows. Like we didn't we didn't have Netflix or Hulu or like, hey, check out a million Korean TV dramas. No, you have to go to PBS to see (laughs) Faulty Towers or Monty Python or anything that was just British. Like we didn't even get into Chinese stuff at this time. So any experience that anyone from America has up until the 90s, even the early millennium, uh, you had to go to PBS for your British broadcasting. Oh, so Kush, do you is any British telly on your radar now? Any comedies or anything else that? Um, I mean, does Ted Lasso count? Does Shameless count? I don't. I don't know. Ted Lasso. I mean, that's that does the British part really well. Usually, when you've got a crossover, mm-hmm. it does either the American part or the British part badly. Strong on one and not on the other. But Ted Lasso does both really well well you tell me if the american part's done well but the british part certainly is (laughs) i would suppose the american part's done real well what's the the surprising thing is like you see this character and you're just like wow they just made a live action ned flanders but then they actually like start peeling layers of the onion like oh my god this guy has like serious trauma he's working through holy shit um and then it becomes an actual a much more fascinating story from there um still looking forward to season three can't wait to see it not sure how I'm going to see that without an Apple TV account, but that's another podcast for another time. My last <laughs> exposure to British television was um, a girlfriend wanted me to watch Red Dwarf, and I tolerated it, but oh, I hate <laughs> some goddamn Red Dwarf. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the budget was a, <laughs> less than a shoestring on that. Was, uh, you know, I can forgive the budget again. Like we're we're talking about, you know, like some yeah. low budget sci fi. Again, it's foreign, so it's you know, yeah. it's edgy and it's exotic. Ooh, like let's uh, let's talk about Rimmer and Lister <laughs> for a minute. Like, uh, uh, anyways, and everything shot on video as opposed to film. Cheers has got a lot of fantastic film angles. That first season, especially like. Once we get into season two and later, everything is just a lockdown shot. Like this shot worked the best, that shot worked the best, this shot worked the best. Well, I guess we can see the studio lights, but fuck it. We're going to keep it on this. But they're they're doing like crazy close-ups and weird 45-degree angles that you you don't see after season one. And it's a, it's like it's like filmmaking, but it's still a TV comedy. It's like that first shot in the... Um the pilot itself, the first episode, first shot's like a nice tracking shot of Sam oh, going through the bar. Yes. And it reveals the set as you go. And that's, I think, like, and you have the, the music undertones as well. You get to know the bar before you get to meet any character, really. I think that's what it does really well, in, especially in the pilot in the first season, like you say. You get you get a real sense of the craftsmanship that they're doing there. Mm-hmm. Was there a, a reason they stopped doing that? Was it was it to make it more like a theatre a stage comedy or was it simply logistics the cameras are in the way of everything and they were re- it was like setting up for shots i think it's just an efficiency thing yeah they shot multi-camera on stage and they were filming on film as opposed to as opposed to video which is partly to do with uh, the actual positional cinematography but it, james Bowes has said it gave a softer look which helped to sell the tone of the warmth of the bar, despite it being uh, underground. I think, as it was the first season, they did a lot of experimenting, both in uh, the technical, technological aspects, but also in terms of story writing. You know, you have things like uh, the the boys in the bar, and I've forgotten which what the episode is called. That's That's bad of me. But the bottle cap episode. There's 271 episodes, James. You can't remember every episode's name. It's just <laughs> back, bro. All right. Forgive yourself. Endless slumper. There we go. I tell you what, though, it's it's like you were saying, Kush, about, um, oh, gosh, what's the show we were mentioning earlier? Ted Lasso and how they're sort of peeling back that onion. And this uh, season, the first season of Cheers especially, but also just the first episode itself, you peel back some layers straight away and you kind of do them through Diane's eyes where – Although she doesn't quite get on with anyone in this episode, really, she gets a bit of respect for them, a sort of, because there's definitely like a class divide throughout, but you get senses of respect 
from her perspective of them, like when she finds out that Sam had a, a big drinking problem, but hasn't, he's had like three years sober by this point. There's elements of that, which just peeled it back, even in this first episode. And you get a sense of, you know, these working class people who are in this bar, they're hard workers, but they're also like grounded characters. They're real. They, they suffer, they have pain, but they're overcoming it and they're having a good time in that bar environment. I think it's that kind of part of it. It's a really clever device to have Diane come in as the outsider because you get to then introduce all the characters without it seeming, it doesn't seem staged, it doesn't seem like the writing's clunky because it's just suddenly saying, oh, you do this or you do this. They're introducing them to this new person. It's a really clever way to write that episode. And I think it's one of the... Uh shows which inspired this, uh, for lack of a better word, trope, which certainly inspired this pattern in shows coming forward. As we mentioned Friends earlier, How I Met Your Mother, which some say is derivative of Friends. Even shows like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which there's not a romantic connection between the main character and the newcomer, but they use the newcomer to set up the show in, a, in an organic way. And I think Cheers was, if not the first, certainly an early example of of how they did that well and i know that uh, a lot of comedic writers have cited the cheers pilot as an inspiration in their writing a example of which being uh, tina fey is a notable one hmm. interesting speaking of the of the writing this is again from james burrow's recent book where he you know broke down uh, the story and broke down the uh, pitch of the show basically and you know there was some hesitancy, uh, you know, at uh, at Paramount because it was set in a bar. But, you know, the, they managed to convince him that it wasn't about the place. It was about the family. And it just happens to be about a group of these kind of uh, surrogate uh, brothers and sisters there. But when uh, James Burroughs read the script, he said of the Charles brothers that they had brought radio back to television. And it was written in this smart, intellectual way. And it was just people sitting around talking, but in such a way that, as you alluded to, Barry, the uh, the actual dialogue didn't seem forced or unrealistic. And I think you could probably watch a lot of Cheers episodes without seeing them. I think you could watch them as an audio podcast and, and they'd work great. I'm sure it wasn't his intention to not have the bar be the main focal point or just like, this is just where they are. This is, these are several little stories within this one location, but I would say that the bar does become its own character at one point. Like so much plot is derived from just like, Oh, Gary Old's old town tavern is disrespecting our bar. We got to fuck them up right now. Oh, Tecumseh's missing. Rebecca possibly couldn't have had him clean. No, someone stole Tecumseh. That's coach's, that's coach's warhead. Like, we got to fuck somebody up. It's lots of things happen to Cheers, and the patrons and staff of Cheers have to react and defend their territory, even. So I don't know if that's if that was his initial intention, but I would say it definitely evolved into that. I'd say that's true, yeah, and I think they partly set it in a uh, bar because of the inspiration from Faulty Towers, where they wanted to set it in a hotel, found out the majority of scenes or situations they were pitching were happening from the hotel uh, bar itself, so they just went, well, we'll just write about a bar. Thought of where a bar could be, thought of many different places, which I'm sure we'll, we'll go into later when we talk about what what it could have been uh you know a kind of what if for cheers if you will but basically the story is that glenn charles 4 a.m east coast time left uh the bull and finch <laughs> at 4 a.m and called james Bowes and Brian, i found the place from then on they you know they knew that they wanted that kind of uh, going down the steps so they could get views of the of the feet from the windows and they thought Boston posed an interesting cultural significance uh, because it had this, had this contradiction of being, for lack of a better word, grimy, but also had, you know, this influence of, of, of culture with, you know, Paul Revere and the whole historical significance therein. So, yeah, it was a, definitely an interesting path which led them to choosing Boston as a location. What I got out of that 
whole thing there was I'm surprised Boston bars are open till four in the morning because they got a lot of weird Commonwealth laws in Massachusetts. We're like, well, we don't sell liquor on Sunday. Sorry. Yeah. But also your bar can't <laughs> open before 10 a.m. Yeah, sorry. You know, like I've been to New York. I've closed the bar at 4 a.m. That's no one should have to do that ever. That's uh, California. We, we close the bar at two. That's a, uh, nothing good happens after 2 a.m. Folks go to bed. It's, it's going to be okay. <laughs> maybe even a little earlier. Maybe you guys should, maybe that's just the old man. I'm talking, but 4 a.m. is a rough night. So for him to have just got out of the bar at 4 a.m. and like, hey, man, <laughs> we got to make a show about this bar right here that I'm walking out of. That's, yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing. W- what are the laws in uh, London there or the UK? Uh, midnight, 1 a.m., something like that. Well, it's different if it's a nightclub because a lot of pubs exploit this loophole, don't they, guys? Uh, uh, by having a, a DJ yeah. in a pub. <laughs> yeah. And that ruins everything. Yeah. Uh, so it just has to get much, much louder. Okay, so so if you have a DJ in your pub, it's classified as a nightclub and you can stay open till 4 a.m.? Or Yeah. If you so okay. wish, yeah. And you can still order like a pint or something, or is it just all crayon apple juice and 7-Up? And <laughs> no, nah, you can still order pints. Um, Fascinating. Barry, <laughs> Barry's right. If the DJ comes in, um, and, and it could be like 8 p.m. or something, and just hear, doots, doots, doots. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm having dinner. Leave yeah. me alone. <laughs> Nightmare. Yeah, that would be awful. I guess that was part of their aspiration of making cheers show it was because they, they sort of cited that lots of people don't have a nice bar around the corner. They've got the mm. DJ going at 8 a.m. or 8 a.m. Jeez, 8 p.m. <laughs> ruining your night. But this, they sort of had this aspiration of making like that ideal bar. The one that you want to go to every night mm-hmm. and this i mean they did a good job with it but i, I remember seeing that even shelly long cited the bull and finch during her audition saying it reminded her of it in the script before they'd sort of set that into it if that makes sense oh that's an interesting coincidence i did not know about that or snack I want to go back into one thing, and I'm going to segue it back to the episode here what is the legal drinking limit in the united kingdom there Oh, this is a trick question. Probably broke it. <laughs> yeah, th- this is a trick <laughs> question. I feel like one, but please elaborate. Because to purchase, there's like three. There's like three legal drinking ages. Uh, to purchase a glass of wine with a meal, 16 years old. I don't, I don't know why. It's such a specific law, but there you go. But to purchase everything else, it's 18. However, okay, okay. the legal age for drinking itself is, is ridiculous where if you're in your private accommodation and with the permission of your parent or guardian, you can drink from the age of five. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. I did not see that coming. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, the, it's, it's, the, it's the purchase of alcohol, which is, yeah. which is 18 uh, or, or 16, yeah. uh, but the drinking of it is five. But I grew up in Scotland, so they might have just been like, I don't know, five you know okay. uh, so knows? did you guys ever try to sneak into a pub not order a meal and just like hey just give me a pint of whatever and like you know you, you can't even like grow facial hair yet like did that ever happen for any of you yeah it's it's a british ritual <laughs> everybody i mean i think it's a universal ritual but i'll get into that you, you send a person with the uh sort of most disgusting mustache uh, <laughs> up to the bar or the one who's got the the most convincing fake id but th- i think the bar knows you're going to do it most of them are kind of okay with it yeah mm-hmm. so uh, here in the united states I, it used to be different state to state but i think it's now universally blanketed as 21 and over in any 50 of the united states but in california it was definitely 21 and over and i've been going to bars since i was 16 and some of them were just like sure two bucks here's your pint go for it and then you know others would be like i appreciate that you have this killer goatee sir but you don't look 21 could i see your id and in those cases you know i I'd just walk away and and then try and salvage my pride but one time i went into the local establishment and you know i was like give me give me a pint of budweiser or whatever it was and then sure enough the guy was like you, you like he just started sassing me and then of course all the locals started sassing me and then i was like come on man just give me a seven up or something and like like they couldn't have thrown me out any quicker like i'm surprised they didn't put hands on me and push me out but they, they made it very clear like 
you are not allowed here. Go away, child. <laughs> I suppose that's why it's there's a difference in the UK because a lot of things are pubs, which means that during the day they serve food, and that's the that's ostensibly their main thing. But people still, you know, have three pints by two p.m. Um, mm-hmm. The public house but because they serve meals. Yeah, exactly. Uh, because they serve meals, and because it was for accommodation, anyone is allowed in. Though I think there's a time when they do start turning people away, maybe 10 p.m. Um, mm-hmm. Barry or John can correct me on that. But So the secret is just go in the day. Day drinking, really. is, uh, <laughs> is <laughs> The only loophole we have here, at least in California, is if the bar does sell food, minors can come in, but only up until 10 p.m. And even then, they're, they're you know, you're, you're most likely not getting a glass of wine, but I'm, I'm sure one or 12 people have, you know, snuck mm. a beer to the kid on the left. <laughs> yeah, it's just a 14-year-old, 14-year-old Frasier just going, yes, I'd like a, a Cabernet, please. <laughs> well, yeah. that brings us to our opening scene where uh, young Billy Mitchell or whoever he is comes in and, you know, presents Sam his fake ID. <laughs> I couldn't get a fake ID. I had to go strictly on a goatee in the 90, a 90s goatee. But anyways, like, he claims he's a war vet. And uh, Sam's like, yeah, okay. Well, well, you must have been in Vietnam. What was that like? He's like, it was gross. War. And he's like, yeah, they say that. War is gross. (laughs) And I think it's one of the funniest lines. And I don't think it's the funniest line, but just the timing of it. Like so much fantastic comedy timing, not just in this pilot, but the entire series. I like his uh, pushback as well. (laughs) Sam goes, sorry, soldier. And he goes, this is the thanks we get. (laughs) (laughs) I was convinced that it was Fred Savage when I first saw him come through the Could door. Be. Could have been. I, but it, but it, no, it, it wasn't. On close-up, it wasn't. But Fred Savage was like four years old uh, at that time, too. So <laughs> it's definitely not. And him. adorable. What an adorable <laughs> Probably. kid. Probably. <laughs> Here's a couple of things. From that first scene, and we touched upon it a bit earlier, we get the, a sense of what the bar is. And throughout the first episode, what it does quite well is it staggers entrances, so you're introduced to characters sequentially. One thing, and I, th- I thought this was a genius creative decision, was, one, there were cameras, uh, multiple cameras filming simultaneously because James Burroughs wanted people to be always be reacting, always be funny, so it was more akin to a stage show and they could use whatever reaction shot they wanted. But also, and I, th- I thought this was genius, was that the linoleum floor that they had uh, on the set extended under the bleachers where the audience were, so it made the audience feel like they were within the bar. And I thought, oh, that's that's very clever. Oh, that's that's a good illusion. Yes. At first, I was confused what time it was in the bar. Oh. Because I thought it must be closing, because Sam mm-hmm. was on his own. But it slowly dawned on me that it was, it was opening. Yeah. <laughs> Rocking up at 10 a.m. Yeah. for beer. Yeah. <laughs> Again, Cheers, time in Cheers in the establishment of Cheers is very abstract because Diane is left for what you think is like hours. You know, she's got her book out finally. She's just just mm. trying to be tolerant and just be patient. And, you know, Carl's like, eh, you know, it's only been an hour. Don't worry. And you're like, really? Like, I, I could have swear she's been there like all <laughs> afternoon, you know, like only an hour. Okay. Sure. Uh, yeah. After Diane enters, her fiance quickly abandons her. <laughs> with mm-hmm. almost no uh, no second thought. You just go, <laughs> Diane, <laughs> uh, I will leave you in this bar now. What, again, I think they do quite well is you see the stark contrast between not just Diane and Sam, but Diane and Sam and Diane and Sumner and Sumner and Sam. They're all three quite different people. Interesting and I think a very motivated choice to use these. They, they are archetypes in some way, archetypes of characters, uh, and put them in essentially the first scene together and watch them play off, play off each other. Uh, and it's throughout the episode, Diane is out of her element, uh, but you often see these glimpses of power and influence that, that Diane will uh, come to show in later episodes, particularly in the first season. Sumner's motivations are so bizarre. 
he's a weird guy. <laughs> Definitely in that kickoff of that first bit between those three characters, you get this vibe that they're all got different perspectives. But there's this great line after Sumner's left where Sam tries to make small talk with Diane and she says she's not in the habit of talking with bartenders. And Sam sort of quite quickly off the cuff says, yeah, I understand one's trying to move into my neighborhood. And it's like quite this clear way to show what what he feels she thinks of him and his bar and everyone in the bar is that she doesn't really want to associate with them at this point and looks down on them quite a bit. And I think that's a great way to sort of show that just through the writing and how those characters are responding to each other. But yeah, like you say, James, Sumner and Sam, there's definitely like friction between the two and you kind of want that to come to head by the end of this episode, but you have to wait a little bit long for that. <laughs> Sam's very cocksure in this episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Later on... Good choice of words, Ben. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what's funny is Sumner thinks he's a coxman too because like at one point, you know, Diane's trying to talk, like, don't worry about the fucking ring, man. Let's go catch this flight to Barbados. Like, don't, I, I don't care about the ring. He's like, you're more than enough for me. And he's like, you're right. I am. And I was like, wow, falls on you. Um, but Sam sees through all that bullshit because he is he is the alpha in this whole scenario. You're right. That That's his that's his domain where he's he's cocky and he he knows what's going on but they don't give him a weakness in this episode whereas later on we we clearly see what his weaknesses are but in this one he's confident he's good looking he's the nice guy talking to all the patrons he gives them a free bottle of champagne he's almost the you know the perfect barman mhm he's also wearing a lipstick <laughs> i didn't catch that well you're looking quite closely kush <laughs> I, I got a fantastic 4k transfer say. from apple it's uh but like yeah it's very noticeable <laughs> in that first frame compared to any other episode in the season like his lips are very very pink it's his lips and his hair they've never been better apart from that first scene <laughs> oh his hair the hair we could talk for hours about sam's hair yeah where's his uh terrible quaff gone <laughs> <laughs> he says like oh barman's intuition which i think is quite a nice phrase and because she was saying like this is sam's element he knows everything that's going on there and uh barry you were saying that he's sort of shown to be the perfect barman and there's this quite no nice moment when i think the character was called ron's leaving and he says like uh thanks for letting me bend your ears sam uh it was really really good to talk out and i think that was part of it like it's just one throwaway line as a character's exit in the the uh the bar at one point and it just shows him as uh maybe a bit more of a sensitive soul than this cocksure person that you said barry because they balance it well with moments like that through this this episode mm. and then it sort of builds up those vulnerabilities later in the season like endless slumper like you mentioned earlier james i'm glad you brought up uh ron uh john because if you're not watching if you're just watching the show just casually i think you miss it because i i only caught it two viewings ago but as Ron is leaving, he's putting his wedding ring back on. And I was just like, what a very interesting personality. Like, what's the point of that? Like, what were you doing there, mister? Like, why are you just taking your wedding ring off at Cheers? That's a great touch. One uh, thing, in which I've forgotten which episode it's in, but it's when uh, there's a prank and someone sets Sam's wallet on fire. Uh, and in the background, you see, you see Cliff steal Norm's pint and Norm wrestle the pint back off him. <laughs> uh, just, as a, just as a background gag. So those small details that sort of bring the bar to life, isn't it? And you said they've always got the cameras rolling on everyone. So everyone's in mm-hmm. character for those reactions. There's also another interesting detail where eventually the the bar does fill up. And remember, this is Cheers. This is underground. This is 1982. So we don't have uh, American Disabilities Act laws. We don't. There's no wheelchair lift for the woman in the wheelchair at the bottom of Cheers. There's no lift uh, taking her down from Melville's. Somehow, a woman went down a full flight of stairs and is just hanging out in a wheelchair. Have you heard about this woman? A little little bit of a fact for you, Kush. Oh, she's got a name, Mrs. Littlefield. Do you know this as well, James? I know where you're going, and uh, I'll I'll sit back and listen. I'm ha- well, <laughs> she was originally going to be one of the main roster of cast, okay. and had lines in the initial script. They all got cut because she was sort of written as this aged, slightly racist character who was going to be sort of the voice of an older Boston generation. And it oh, didn't okay. play well. No. <laughs> oh, wow. No. I still have to wonder how she got down there, though, because she's by herself. 
She's not drinking with anybody. Like, you know, in theory, you think someone like helped her down all those stairs. Clap, 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 clap. But, hmm. And then she was going to be, okay. Ah, uh, oh, man, what could have been? What could have been? I'm I'm glad that they didn't continue the the racist old woman card. That would have made choose a very different show. Boston is is has been called San Francisco with racism. <laughs> Quite the claim to fame there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it it's is. definitely worth checking out some of the removed lines uh, from the script if you want to. And uh, oh, I know uh, Ken yeah. Levine spoke on there on her as well as a character uh, and sort of why they removed her. I think Sam Simon has as mm-hmm. well about it. I mean, shit, if it don't work, it don't work. Like, that's Cheers was always great about just cutting the fat. Just get just get to the jokes and let's what works, let's push that harder. Uh, well, one thing that Miss Littlefinger does, Littlefield, sorry, does say is, uh, how are you gentlemen? And a nurse replies, I'll see you in a couple of hours unless you die. And Miss Littlefield says, I'll do wheelies on your grave. Okay, <laughs> bring it in. Miss Littlefield. <laughs> and a nurse enters pushing her down the stairs, actually. That was in the script. Ah. You got your answer, oh. Kush. Okay. And, and nurse wheeled her down the stairs and left her, is, is what happened. Just, <laughs> just left her. Okay. James, I know you were teasing earlier that like you were going to tell us about alternate versions of the show. Yeah. You kind of uh, gave a good segue into it earlier when you spoke about how Boston was uh, like San Francisco with racism. They were considering... Because the uh, because the Charles brothers had grown up in Las Vegas, one of the earliest ideas was to set the bar in a barstow, California, because of its yeah. proximity to Vegas, and they thought that when people were traveling to Vegas, it would be uh, a stop uh, that people would make on their way to Vegas. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, we've all we've all seen The Hangover, so I mm-hmm. <laughs> imagine the kind of uh, Sam, there's a tiger in your office. Uh. <laughs> so if you don't know, Barstow is it's pretty much out in like Death Valley. It's 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 the desert. There's there's like nothing for fifty miles in either direction of Barstow. Like if you run out of gas, you're fucked. It don't don't try and stay out of Barstow if you can. But if they had done that, it would have been just a lot of just miserable and not charismatic characters. There's something about the Boston location and just again like it's just perfect lightning in a bottle. Like you couldn't have said like, Hey, let's put George went and uh, Ted Danson and Shelly long together. And that's going to, that's just going to work. You, you didn't know that was going to work. Um, but from your description of the Barstow bar, that sounds a lot like wings. Just people coming and going through this one in the middle of nowhere location. Yeah. Cause wings is out in Nantucket, which, uh, you know, it's, it's a remote Island by definition. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was not aware of that. Yeah, that's um, an I interesting connection. That. I hadn't considered it before. It's the same creators, right? Some of them. David Angel, Peter Casey, and David Lee. By the way, don't ever say anything negative about Wings. Like, Wings fanatics will cut you. <laughs> like, it was a joke on Family Guy. I'm telling you, it's a real thing. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's a real thing. Don't If you meet a Wings fan, run. His name's Roy and he's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that happen in real time. Like a buddy of mine, real tough guy, likes his, his V8s and his motor cars, uh, but for some reason loves dolphins and watching wings on USA. And it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? Like, and, and then he goes, don't say, don't say anything bad about wings. And he just gives you that side eye where you're like, I'm in trouble right now. I'm, I should probably leave. Other places they considered to set the bar were, well, they ruled out New York, first of all, not only because it had been overdone, but because it had multiple teams for the same sport and didn't really have the same uh, community feel in that respect. Uh, They also considered Philadelphia and Detroit, and uh, Detroit set cheers. Uh, I've heard things about Detroit, and I can imagine it would be, uh, be a little violent. Yeah, I and I talked about glassing in one episode of our podcast. I can imagine if did we? <laughs> we did. Oh, yeah. yeah. Glassing is vicious. Oof. So that's what I imagine <laughs> Cheers Detroit would be. <laughs> just, uh, just getting hit in the face with a pint glass. <laughs> they decided on Boston because, one, the accent, and because it was a distinctive town, uh, with it being working class and cosmopolitan, which we touched upon earlier. Baston definitely has an accent there, buddy, but it, it's not very prevalent. 
on the Cheers TV show. Boston, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we talked about other places it was set, and I believe, John, you have some uh, little-known facts about alternative cast members. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy when you look at how many people may have been some of these like lead roles. But uh, I mean, the, some of the famous ones is uh, Fred Dreyer, William Devan, uh, Judith Duffy, and Lisa Inchhorn, uh all sort of were vying for the, the lead roles. But I tell you what, James, one of the crazy ones, and, and Cush and Barry, one of the crazy ones which I came across, which this was one I'm hoping to catch James out because I know he knows a lot of these. But uh, Janice Ian for the role of Carla Tortelli. And she was uh, the singer who did At 17, if you know the song. It's a very quiet, sort of soft-natured song about sort of At 17 being sort of contrasting herself with what frizzy hair uh, and being quite short against sort of cheerleaders. That's the whole song. And it fits the role of Carla so well, but in a such different vibe. And I think this casting would have been really different considering Rhea Perlman brings a ferocity and edginess and uh, like an incredible powerhouse of uh, not not aggression but you wouldn't mess with her and I think uh, Janice Ian playing that role would have been very very different but I mean some of the other ones Ed O'Neill who went on to be in Modern Family Mother alongside Shelley Long yeah <laughs> <laughs> He was also up for the role of Sam Malone. I'll let you talk because okay. you had a strong reaction there. <laughs> so I, I didn't want to break you guys' format. I'm looking at this beautiful list here, and I don't want to break your format, but I took, you know, it's 40 years, guys, and things that don't get rebooted get remade. And I thought, like, <laughs> what would the cast of Cheers look like today, 40 years old? And I booked Ed O'Neill as the coach. Ooh. <laughs> Good choice, uh, yeah. He, he's 15 years older than when Coach, unfortunately, died. But I think he would make the perfect coach right now. Um, guys, I don't know if you've ever done this before on the show or if this is the first time you've heard this. But, like, let me just go, like, and this ain't guaranteed to work. Like, that main cast that we have been talking about, just lightning in a bottle. They all have this strong personalities that just, they all gel together so well. Even the characters you don't like. But, like, my choice for Carla is uh, America Ferreira. I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she, she's a fantastic actress. Um, I got Lilla Stern and Crane being played by Adina Mazel. I've got Fraser Crane being played by Peter Dinklage. Cliff Clavin, Patton Oswald, <laughs> Norm, Kevin James. I'm so glad you guys like my Oswald cast there. Um, when Rebecca does get eventually cast, uh, Aisha Tyler has to play her. I can see that, yeah. When we do get a Woody Boyd, Jack Quaid from The Boys has to play him. And then I just mentioned Coach, but I've got Diane played by Juno Temple from uh, Ted Lasso and The uh, the Offer Ooh. on Paramount+. Plus. Yeah, oh, strong reaction here. And then Sam Malone, 40-year-old Zac Efron playing Sam Malone. If you guys have any debates on that or maybe like, hmm, maybe that, but maybe this would be better. Like, hit it. Yeah, I was thinking. I was thinking Zac Efron. I was struggling to find one for Sam because I was thinking of this uh, this little game as well. Uh, I'll let uh, Barry and John contribute because I've I've got a list here. I'll tell you on the the one there, which like my mind went. You said Peter Dinklage for Fraser. Yes, <laughs> that would have been that would be amazing. It'd be phenomenal. It'd be right? so like... good within that sort of dry. Yeah. That's the one which stood out to me there as like, that would be something worth seeing that. It's it's just different enough, but like you put Dinklage and Fraser Crane together, like there's no way these two cannot be the same person. Like, you know. <laughs> Do you know what? We've got the Fraser reboot coming. Maybe they'll face off as psychiatrists. Ooh, I would I would like to see that. <laughs> that would be perfect stunt casting. And they yeah, I don't see why they wouldn't. When I was going through my uh, my cast list, I was trying to find people who were if not the exact same age as uh, the Cheers cast mm-hmm. when it started, within a couple of years either way, which was a difficult task. And why uh, yes. why Zach Efron was, was uh, I was like, oh, he'd be a good choice, but he's, he's the wrong age. But I did find a couple. I found a David Cross as coach. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Of, of Mr. Show's Bob and David. Exactly. Uh, Elizabeth Olsen is the uh, uh, same age, give or take a year, as Shelley Long uh, when Shelley okay. Long started. 
as Diane, Michael Sarah as Cliff. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he would, yeah, he, he, he would make that good mailman mustache for sure. He's he's done that uh, in a couple movies now. And in a similar, you you spoke about the boys. I thought of uh, Chase Crawford, who plays the Deep, as a potential Sam. Though I have to admit, Zach Efron is a is a could probably give a closer performance to Danson in terms of performing as Sam alone. I think Chase Crawford would be more menacing. I can see why you'd book Chase Crawford there. Yeah, it's a charming slow. You say that the original cast is like lightning in a bottle, really, aren't they? But I mm-hmm. think there's some excellent standout ones there. I think that Peter Dinklage was the best match for me. Who do you say David Cross for again, James? Uh, he also played Tobias Funke in Arrested no, sorry, Development. Uh, who, who you cast him as? Uh, as coach, because he's the same age, yeah. I feel like he could do a couple of different roles in there. Yeah. I could see him yeah. as a sort of cliff, know-it-all role in there as well. Yeah. Uh, Aubrey Plaza, I also put as Carla. Carla's whole gimmick is, you know, she's obviously very tiny. She's very ferocious, but she's also like of Italian uh, immigrant heritage. So like, like she's still really connected to those Italian roots. And this is when, you know, this is probably going to get us canceled, guys, but Italians are just white people that tan these days. All right. But there was a time where like, oh my, like, you know, no Irish, no Italians allowed. No Polish people either. You're like, what what the fuck, man? (laughs) In the 80s, (laughs) Italians were still kind of discriminated against. And that's she. That's what carries a lot of her zeal and her angst. Um, yeah, that, and that's why I cast America Ferrera. Like it was like she could totally be the mom with eight children with four different men. Yeah, <laughs> there's a great quote from. Uh, it's like a panel of all the cast lined up, and they say, "Do people like Carla?" And George went sort of interrupts and just goes, "You have to." <laughs> and I thought it was a great mm-hmm. line to just show how all the characters around her do sort of fall in line because it's kind of she's fought for everything she's got in this world. And she might not have much, but it's hers. And it's like you mentioned yes. the episode where she gets a house eventually as well. And it's like those character beats that they've outlined for her are so rewarding because of that, because they've properly given her an authentic role in this whole like sitcom. Mm-hmm. Speaking of alternate casting, I spoke briefly with John and Barry uh, the other day. And uh, I came up with, if Cheers was made in the UK at the same time, uh, you know, in the early 80s, who a UK cast would be. And I'll, I'll mention a couple of them because I think you'll, you'll recognize the names. As a okay. Norm, I thought Robbie Coltrane, uh, who later became oh. Hagrid from the High yeah, Potter yeah, yeah. franchise. Sam, Timothy Dalton, or James Bond. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling is, it. Uh, is one I thought of. And Coach, I put as Ernie Wise, who was part of a comedy double act, Morkman and Wise, here in the UK. Okay. I'm not familiar with them. Okay. Uh, those are probably the most well-known I thought of in my list, as well as Sumner Sloan being uh, Ian Richardson, who isn't as well-known a uh, an actor anymore, but he was in the original UK version of House of Cards, playing the uh, role which eventually went to Kevin Spacey. Oh, wow. I also did not know that House of Cards was a British import. Fascinating. Yeah, it was, uh, it was made in the uh, Thatcher years, mm-hmm. uh, so they managed to touch into the whole zeitgeist and, you mm-hmm. know, uh, feelings towards the, the conservatives at the time, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. Because of all the adaptations that happened between the United States and the United Kingdom, and for as in-depth as this show goes, I'm honestly surprised that you haven't hit me with like, yeah, did you know that this was actually an adaptation of a show we did in 1980? Or or the alternate, like, yeah, did you know we tried to do a version of this in 1985 <laughs> and it just didn't really work out? Like, it's the the, the 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 writing on this is just so sophisticated. It's awesome. it's again just perfect timing. Like someone says, some someone immediately snaps back, and it's just most pilots don't hold up, especially after forty years. Like the original South Park sucks. The original Simpsons sucks. I dare you to find any pilot, and I'll be like nine and a half out of ten of them suck. But Cheers still has my ribs aching after all these years. Especially this episode, despite like, like, what the hell is Sumner's motive? Why would you go through all this? This sounds stupid, but like just <laughs> amazing stuff. Like, and, and Nicholas Colasanto, you know, Ernie Pantuso, like he steals every line. He steals every scene he's in. And you just, you don't get that today. Well, they were originally going to, uh, not originally going to cast, but they did go through a couple of people for coach as well. Uh, they mm-hmm. considered Robert Prosky. Uh, who I think later went on to play Rebecca's father, but also uh, a person you might know of, Ron Luciano, 
the baseball umpire uh, wanted to be coached. And they went, do you act? And he went, no. And they went, well, then no. Big oops on that one. Yeah. Once, once we lose the coach after season three, like the entire show is affected. I, I'm not saying necessarily for the negative or the positive, but like the heart and the soul of the show leaves. Woody does what he can. Um, and Frazier steps up quite a bit. But yeah, once once the coach is gone, it's a different show. It is. And I think the he was very much the father figure. And I think from the first episode, we do see that, we, you mm-hmm. know, despite his uh, senility, I guess you could call it, due to mm-hmm. what we find out later is multiple concussions. But he <laughs> is very much the father figure of the of the bar. And you see that from the first episode. Yeah. So much fun made out of Alzheimer's. But it works. It's the only time jokes against Alzheimer's <laughs> works. Yeah. But also, after every laugh, I'll be like, oh, coach. <laughs> I think that is one of the things as well. It's like people say that the divide is like between uh, the Shelley Long years and the Kirstie Alley years. But I do think that the real switch in it does come uh, with the passing of Nikos Santo. But uh, he was nominated every year for his, his Best Supporting Actor, the Primetime nice. Emmys, and then went on to win uh, the viewers for quality television posthumously mm-hmm. after he died as well. Uh, I think that's kind of, you know, it's, yeah, every time you see Coach on on screen, you get like a warm feeling. I think, you know, you said like the, the vibe of the bar develops. It's kind of the warmth of him sort of lingers in it still. And I think that's kind of why there's that sort of, when Gary's old time, uh, tavern sort of slag off the bar that's why they're like nah let's get them this is for coach and that kind of mentality yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's something which has sort of stood the legacy from season one episode one they they never really forgot that as they went forward you always get a sense that he's you always get dips in as well even like the thanksgiving episode where they they raise a glass for him you always get those little yes. dip backs to go ah oh, coach there's a picture of a geronimo's hanging somewhere in the bar and uh, at one point, mm-hmm. a PA just, I don't know if he was given instructions to move it or he just moved it on his own accord. But like Ted Danson got like really hot at this kid. Like, don't touch Geronimo. Like, you that's coach's picture. You leave it there. Don't mm-hmm. don't touch it. Nicholas Colasanto used to write his lines down and stick them around the bar itself. Some of those lines stayed up as well. And I think there was one where he, he gave a bit of a eulogy to an ex-player. And I think that sort of stood and stayed oh, yeah. above uh, the staircase for a long time as well. I think it's those little touches in the bar that kept it, him alive and present throughout, even beyond. So definitely a big part of it. That eulogy is fantastic too. I'm ad-libbing, but he's just like, he was mm. a motherfucker, but he was my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> T-Bone Scappy OG was a son of an immigrant. <laughs> <laughs> We know what that sound is. It's in the gold envelope. Thank you, Cliff. Leave. There we go. It's a 40th anniversary envelope. <laughs> no messing. We've got some special anniversary trivia. Uh, I've got a couple of questions. John, do you have any questions? i got a couple. Who's going to go first? I'll open one up and uh, I'll put this to everyone because it's you can do a sort of a Price is Right game with it. How many Emmy nominations did Cheers get in its whole stint in of 11 seasons? Ooh. I'll throw it to James first, and you can undercut me if you want. If you go over, no points. Yeah. 37. Nominations in 11 years. Yeah, that's th- three a year, roughly. Best supporting, best uh, main, and best directing. Okay. Don't forget yeah. best writing. <laughs> Are we allowed? Yeah, there you go. Are we allowed to go over now, James? Uh, John? Yeah. yeah, you can, yeah. <laughs> Nominations, I'll, James. I'll, I'll guess at, oh, 84. Okay. You're up, Kush. I was going to say 37. I think 85 is a little high, so I'm just going to slide into the middle and just say f- over 50. So 50. But I also could see it being 24. Guys, they got 179. <laughs> 179 <Wow>. nominations. <laughs> 179. Yeah, well, 11 <laughs> years. 11 years. Good 28 wins. A similar one. Another numbers game. I like my numbers games. According to his ID, how old would Sam's first customer be today? I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. Oh, oh I, Barry. Barry's got it. <laughs> be today? Uh, yeah. Oh, today? Yeah. Oh, no. I don't got it. 
<laughs> I'll take a guess. It's 78. How he got it right. I guess we're doing fastest <laughs> finger first. Yeah, you just added 40. Good job. <laughs> okay. Yeah, All right, I've good. got a trivia question. Yeah. On which side of Sam's head was his parting? <laughs> As in which I mean, side was it parting towards or parting away from? Uh, left. <laughs> <laughs> so which side of his head um, was his parting? Yeah. Right. From from Sam's point of view, given that this is a haircut that we rarely see again from him. Uh, right, as in up upstage. It was is, away is it, from the audience. Is it trick? It's like dead centre, Barry. <laughs> Uh, it's James is right. It is the right. It's it's on uh, Sam's right hand side. Mm-hmm. There you go. I've got a, a similar question again. I, I, I looked <laughs> at the, the Emmy nominations, but this time I'm just going to go for specifically how many Emmy nominations did Ted Danson get uh, nominated for an outstanding lead actor in a comedy series for the role of Sam Malone? Well, it's going to be eleven at most, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, seven. Six. I'll say 11. <laughs> okay. 11. You got the clean sweep Ooh. of nominations. Ooh. Yeah. Every year between 83 and 93, you got a nomination. Ted Danson got two Emmys for his stint. Do we know what years he won? Because, like, he, he brought some fire in some seasons, you know? Like, when we he, he has his first drink after, like, three or four years, like, that's a heavy episode. But the final season, but also uh, two seasons before nineteen ninety as well. And he should have got he should have got some for the early years, I reckon. Yeah, season eleven feels like we we gotta give you've been nominated eleven times now. We gotta give it to you. Here's a sneaky question, Kush. You mentioned uh, whether there was a UK version of of Cheers either before or after Cheers was made. There mm-hmm. wasn't, but there was an American show which was very similar to Cheers, in 1979. It was short-lived, and it was produced by a local Boston TV station to only air in Boston. Now, this question's okay. for everyone. It was about a basement bar, but what was this uh, 1979 show called? This is a deep question here. Oh, I'll pass, James. I've got no ideas. Yeah, I'm, I'm clueless here myself. The bar. The bar. Yeah. As good a <laughs> guess was, as I could have given you. It, it was called Park Street Under because it was set under Park Street in Boston. Only people from Boston would have known there that. It would have took me a lot of guesses. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a one final question. Uh, and it's around first lines. If you can give me the first line of any of the cast, I'll give you a point. I don't know Italian points, but if you can give me a first line of any of the cast, the major players in this episode. Uh, how about a beer chief? I mean, I wouldn't say he's a major cast member for the rest of the season, James. But it's the first line of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing much. That's that's Norm's first line. <laughs> Coach, something about is it baseball? They're talking about the NFL draft. Coach comes in like a ball of fire, dude. He he's just like a you know, hundred miles a minute. Is you know, so like you can't absorb. He's just he's bitching about the Patriots draft. Like can you believe they got a fucking lineman? <laughs> I tell you what, who else comes in like a steamroller is a Carla. Carla, yeah. She goes in straight in with a rampage of, okay, I'm late. My kid was thrown up all over the place. You don't buy that excuse. I quit. I don't want for a man who has non-compassion about my children. And then just continues from there. She like bulldozes the whole thing. It's, it's Cliff's uh, opening line. Uh, you know, it's a little known fact that women actually have uh, fewer sweat glands than men, but they're <laughs> larger and more active. <laughs> Close. Chris's first line is no, not even close. Body heat. Sweat city. Body heat. (laughs) (laughs) I have a piece of trivia. They apparently, this is from IMDb. They apparently focus in on Ted Danson when Cliff says body heat because Ted Danson was in body heat. I think it might just be a coincidence, but that's an IMDb fact. Take it with a grain of salt. What I liked about uh, that argument was. Diane goes, Sumner, they've been arguing about the sweatiest movie ever made. And Sumner just goes, Cool Hand Luke. Cool Hand Luke. <laughs> yeah. No hesitation. That's that's totally a guy conversation. And it, it's, it shows that no matter what class you are, like, that's a conversation you can engage in as a dude. Okay. Like, Sumner knew. He's like, Yeah, Cool Hand Luke. Yeah. <laughs> They're literally in a fucking sweat box at, at points in that movie, you know? 
By the way, if you haven't seen Cool Hand Luke, great goddamn movie. Still holds up. Sit down, watch the whole thing, take the batteries out of the remote control. Well, I think that brings us towards the end of the conversation. Every time we have a guest on, we like to give them the chance to sort of order a round of drinks for our, our last call. So if you were in okay. Cheers right now, what would you be ordering? I'm most likely going to have some rum um, or a gym, a shot of Jim Beam. But yeah, I'm on a rum kick these days. So you know, hit me with some Captain Morgan. Nothing special. <laughs> I think Captain Morgan's because... And uh, I try to do this every time that it's brought up. Shoes is like a ship, and Sam is the captain. See? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you do bring that okay. up a lot, James. <laughs> that works. That works. I want to tell you guys a little secret. Like, I, I worked the uh, NBA Finals recently, and ESPN decided to have a, a rap party at the end of Game 1 in San Francisco, and they made the mistake of, open bar, dude. And you know, at first, I'm a little hesitant. I put my, my, my little pinky toe in the water. And I'm just like, uh, how about that McClellan 12? And like, here you go. Boom. And I'm like, wow. And then I went back. I was like, how about that Johnny Walker blue label? Like, here you go. And at some point, a buddy of mine walks up. He's like, yeah, man, I got doubles. Like, why am I not getting doubles here? Of course, I'm getting doubles from now on. So I was like, yeah, give me that blue <laughs> label and make it a double with ice. And sure enough, just boom like no hesitation <laughs> like the the mouse house made a big mistake that night and there will probably be ne- never another party after that <laughs> so what is it that we're drinking then a captain morgan's double i reckon yeah aged 40 years oh nice touch Barry. well i think from there we'll we'll have to draw this co- pardon me uh, that's too much too much room for me maybe <laughs> uh, i've been there i've been there <laughs> I guess we'll draw this conversation to a close. Thank you so much for coming, Kush. Uh, and for those who are listening, remember you can catch more Kush uh, on Microdose Podcast on Fridays and Waffle Box Pod on Wednesdays. But until then, I guess, are we, we going to have a bit of a toast? Toast to 40 years of uh, the best sitcom. I was going to say on Earth. I think I'd agree with that. <laughs> Should we say a cheers? Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.